0: Welcome to our Melanin Hughes podcast. We are women of color who are physicians and psychologists empowering our communities through candid conversations about their physical and emotional health. I am one of your hosts,
1: Dr. Eunice Blackman.
2: Hi, and I'm Dr. Kenesha Campbell.
1: Hi, Dr. Leela Morrow. Hi, Dr. Chanel Richards. Welcome back, ladies. Today's episode is Dear Mama Black Maternal Health Matters. This is part two of our episode today. How are you ladies feeling? Feeling awesome. Good. 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 Feeling yes. great. Glad to be yes. here. So this topic is really, really important, as we said uh, last time, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on your own experiences of what it was like since we all have children. So if anyone would like to share what their uh, maternal health experience has been like, we'd love to hear from you. When I think back on my
0: experience, I I only had one child. I think, you know, being a physician, you think that you know a little something, but honestly, I felt like I knew nothing about the physiology of how birthing works. I did know that I was going to be at higher risk for some things, being that I had my son at what you would consider advanced maternal age. When I, I think I was about in my second trimester, I started feeling excessively tired, and I pretty much told my you know physician like hey I think that I might be becoming anemic because I just feel really tired and I love her to death but she was like oh you know it's it's probably just how you should feel when you're pregnant and I'm thinking to myself now how would she know Mm -hmm. she had no kids but just thinking that you know You're telling me, I'm telling you that I'm tired, that this doesn't feel right, that I felt this way before when I was anemic, and this is the exact feeling that I have, but you're telling me that this is how you should feel, (laughs) You know, so I can only imagine if I wasn't persistent or if I wasn't um, someone who didn't have a little knowledge of how long I would have gone before we realized that I truly was anemic, by the way, when we did get those laughs back. So that was, you know, one of my experiences uh, with it. I mean, I think that that was probably the worst that I had, but it was still just taken aback being that you're telling me that this is how pregnancy should feel when I'm telling you I feel like super tired and I'm not going to make it.
2: Right. Right. You know what, Eunice, I think that's um, one of the main issues and kind of reasons for poor health outcomes for um, women of color. I think that, you know, you know, your body period. And it's like, I know how I normally feel. I know how I should feel. And I know that I don't feel like I should feel and that should be enough you to actually um, listen to me and kind of take what I tell you seriously. I had, I feel like a similar experience as well. So I gave birth a very long time ago. So my son's 21, but you know, same thing. I was a young mom. Uh, I was in medical school, so I definitely didn't feel like I knew a whole lot because I was very um, early on in medical school and just, you know, just a young black girl having a baby. So I had a very long labor and I was not uh, progressing and um, I also didn't have an epidural. That was really due to my um, ex-husband shenanigans. But you know, we're not going to talk about that. But I did not have an epidural. It was a very painful experience. It was a very long labor. And since I wasn't progressing, I wasn't dilating at all. They had to, you know, start giving me pitocin, a medication, kind of induce, you know, progression of uh, my cervix. And I was in like intense, intense pain. And I told the doctor, I was like, okay, something is not right. I knew this is supposed to be painful, but not this darn painful. And I felt like I was getting contractions like every 30 seconds. So I was like, this is ridiculous. like, oh no, this is, this is it. This is how the medication is. You know, you don't have, you don't have an epidural. So th- it's okay. And then I kept on telling them like, no, like, this is too much. And I had a doula, thank God. And the doula was like, yeah, no, this is not, this is not right. This is not right. This is too much. So she had to go to talk to the doctor for me. And so she talks to the doctor and, you know, the medical team, and then they came in, they're like, oh, you were uh, hyper-stimulated. And so we were giving you too much medication. And so they had to like, you know, drastically reduce the dose of the medication and then everything was okay. So I will say that like, they didn't listen to me, number one. And number two, the doula saved my life. Mm -hmm. It was just a bad experience.
1: And trusting your body, you have to know what's
2: going
3: on. For me, I had a long birth as well, but it was complicated by the fact that every time I would contract or try to push, this is my firstborn, my son, he would go back up. Um, He did that several times. And my OB was very, very, very good, but I'm in the midst of this being that it's my first birth. I don't know what to expect or what's going to happen. All of a sudden, I just see like people running, running into the room, just a bunch of different kind of doctors and nurses. So apparently the baby vitals were just like dropping all over the place. And it took some encouraging and some words from my OB to say, you know, Chanel, you gave it your best effort. You tried, but I'm going to have to call it. We're going to have to go and you're going to have to get that C-section. I appreciated her because she did her best. She let me do what I wanted to do in terms of the birthing process because I wanted to do it naturally. And good thing we did go to the OR and get that C-section because, you know, the cord was clearly around his neck and he kept going mm-hmm. back up because of it. I never would have been able, just based on how the cord was, to to do it naturally, but having someone there in addition to, you know, like my family supports, my best friend was there, my husband and her mom, and just having that in that OR, just because you're just like all over the place. I was like hyper anxious. I was just hyper painful. I was exhausted. Like you going through the gamut of different emotions at the same time. So having someone just like Kanisha's doula, being that outside supportive and strong, fervent force for you in that room is very, very important. You have to know your body. I'm like, something's not right. And so it's important to know your body in that way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, these stories are so important to share. For me, it's uh, always been a topic of interest ever since I was little. I love babies, love learning about this experience that is so unique to women. I even took a class, History of Childbirth, in college because I was so interested in the process. And you know, this is the whole idea of where you go in with a birth plan, you go in with a certain idea of what this is going to be. And you have to be really flexible because it may not be that way. So just as you all spoke, my labor took very long. For the first baby, almost three days. Mm. For the second one, two days. And then with my recent one, who's uh, going to be two years old, she was just about like a day, almost a day and a half. So that was like labor from the time when I had contractions. And similar to what you lady said, I think having an advocate. So I use midwives and I was really, really happy because the midwives advocated for me. The unfortunate thing about living in a big city is like your OB is not going to be your OB. And so you meet with several people, different doctors on call. But with the midwives, I was able to have a really, really good one for the first and second. And then they actually prevented me from having a C-section because they got into an argument. The L&D nurses, labor and delivery nurses got into an argument with the OB because I was about to have a C-section. And they said, no, she can do it. She can do it. She's almost there. And that saved my life because at that time, my husband was away at grad school and he had to leave. So if I had a C-section, my recovery would have been so much longer, much more difficult and she really looked for my best interest. And then with my last experience, I used the midwives, but they were only uh, working until five o'clock. And I had actually a black doctor, a colleague, deliver my baby, which was the most special experience um, because I was so afraid by that point. I was a little bit older, and you know, just had some complications, and I wasn't progressing. And she was just like so super supportive. She's like, "They will take care of you. Don't worry." So I think that reassurance really helped. And thank god i have three healthy children but it is a process
0: absolutely i mean all of our stories are not new unfortunately for being a black woman and having to give birth but it's something that i think that it's safe to say that you know when we're neglected as black women on the in the hospital and examination rooms you know this could Potentially caused harm to us and also harm to our child that's going to be born. And so I think that having someone to be able to advocate for you, such as a doula or maybe another friend, if you don't have a doula, is one thing that, you know, black women who are expecting or thinking about becoming um, pregnant and carrying a baby should consider. Also, I think about You know, maybe searching out for physicians that are culturally similar to you as well, that can definitely advocate for you. Someone that you develop a connection with before you have your child, I think, are important things when we think about delivering. I mean, now when I'm thinking about it, you know, at the time, I just wanted to find a doctor to deliver my baby. But I didn't really realize that it's really important to have that connection with that physician. So when you do say, I feel like this is going on, that those things are addressed appropriately.
2: I mean, absolutely. I'd say that um, you know, I was too young to know anything about this stuff. So I definitely did not have a connection with my OB at all. It's a very like older, very tall white man with very long fingers. So it was not the most comfortable <laughs> experience. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But I think, like you said, Eunice, uh, it is really, really, really important. Um, I think not even just the doctor, but also the practice to make sure that their values align with yours. Because like Leela said, you don't always get your doctor, right? You don't, you don't know when your baby's gonna come your doctor. Might be on vacation. So, in general, I think just having a practice um, that accepts doulas and midwives and, you know, hopefully insurance that covers a doula and a midwife would be ideal. The other big thing is just noting that, you know, for all women, Pre- prenatal care is covered. And I just had a conversation actually yesterday and I was very, very surprised that people didn't know that. So a lot of people don't realize um, that prenatal care is fully covered. You will get insurance um, if you're pregnant and um, that insurance will cover all the care you need for your baby. Um, and so that is something that everyone should know. You know, so I want to make sure our listeners are aware of that. So it doesn't matter if you don't, even didn't have insurance beforehand. Once you're pregnant, you get the insurance. Now you lose it once the baby is born, unless, you know, you have to get your own separate insurance, but at least you'll have insurance when you're pregnant, you can at least, you know, look for a provider that kind of um, meets your needs.
1: Such important tips and uh, you know as we see within even our small group here, there's so many similarities. All right, ladies. Well, today we are meeting with a new mom. This new mom is Brittany Waiters and she is one of our dear friends. Kanisha and I have known her for many, many years working together as the tag team psychologist, physician, and social worker. So Brittany is a social worker, and she recently had a baby. So thank you so much for being here, Brittany. Thank you guys for having me. This is great. Can you tell us a little bit about being a new mom and what your experience has been like?
4: Sure. So my son, his name is Ezekiel. Um, We call him Easy. He was born actually five weeks today. He's my first baby. My husband and I, we've been married for almost four years in May. Uh, so this is our first, well, we have a dog, so I guess she's our first, but <laughs> he's, our first, <laughs> he's our first human baby. She was actually a little easier than he, than he was. But yeah, he's our first. And, you know, it's definitely been a whirlwind experience. Um, you know, we we were trying. It wasn't like this was a surprise. So we were definitely trying to start a family. And that was a process. You know, my pregnancy was actually... Very, quote unquote, easy, I guess is the word I'll use, because how easy actually is pregnancy, but, you know, very safe, very healthy, no complications. Definitely had an interesting labor and delivery process, which was completely unexpected. He came out healthy, um, recovering slowly but surely. So feeling a little bit better each day, but definitely had a whirlwind experience, labor and delivery for sure, which if you want me to talk about, I can, or however, whatever you want me to share, I am happy and comfortable sharing. So I was diagnosed with unexpected preeclampsia at 38 weeks, um, had, like I said, a very easy pregnancy, had great blood pressures from week one to week 38 And went in unexpectedly for my regular weekly appointment and was told that, you know, they were a little concerned about my pressure. So they had me go in for observation and ultimately my pressures wouldn't come down. So they decided to induce me at 38 plus one, which is when they started inducing me at 39 or 37 plus six. And then he was born at uh, 38 weeks in one day. So we had just about 36 hours from start to finish with the labor process. Um, But he came out healthy uh, immediately after my birth. They could not get all of my placenta out. So Mm -hmm. after about 20 or 30 minutes of that process, I had to go in unexpectedly for a DNC pretty much under sedation about 30 minutes after he was born, which was very anxiety provoking, you know, 30 minutes after having a baby and then I'm being separated from my baby. And during the pandemic, there's no nursery. So they pretty much looked at my husband and said, okay, dad, you ready to take the baby while we take Mm. your wife (laughs) away? (laughs) Which, you know, for him, he now tells people like that was actually the best thing that could have happened because it forced me to just jump right in there. There was no nursery. There was no separation. They kind of just said, Hey, here's your kid but we're also going to take your wife away from you who just had a baby 30 minutes ago. So I went in for for that procedure, uh, did not get back to the room until about two and a half hours after he was born. So, you know, I got 30 minutes of skin to skin, but didn't really get the opportunity to bond as long as I would have obviously liked to right after he came out, but my husband did. So at least one of us was able to continue on with that process So they, you know, everything worked well from that procedure, but my pressure still didn't come down. Um, So they had to start me on magnesium for just over 24 hours. So from the start of my induction up until 48 hours later, I was completely bed rest. I hadn't put my feet on the ground after I got my epidural up until 36 hours after he was born because I had to be completely on bed rest. And then even with the magnesium running, my pressures still didn't come down to the level that they would have liked them to. In addition, I went from having preeclampsia to severe preeclampsia or the HELP Mm -hmm. syndrome. So then I was diagnosed with anemia and they started me on iron and they were worried about my platelet levels and everything. So from start to finish, I was in the hospital for five nights. After having him, which is completely, I mean, that's longer than people who have C-sections. So it was very Mm -hmm. unexpected. I'm still on blood pressure medicine right now, but things are much, much better than they were. It was wild in the middle of a pandemic.
0: (laughs) That is really crazy in the middle of the pandemic. And for our listeners that may not know what preeclampsia is, it's really a potentially fatal pregnancy um, condition that's characterized pretty much by high blood pressure. Sometimes you can have protein in your urine. And if left untreated, it can be, you know, death for the mother and the baby. So, you know, imagining, you know, being told, you know, you have preeclampsia, and then you don't really get to spend a whole lot of time with your child um, in the per- in the very beginning. So, it, you you know, you kind of go from this state of euphoria where you're so happy that you just had your baby to where you're just like, oh, I can only imagine, you'll probably be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to die. Can you take us like through those moments of like when they first told you that you had preeclampsia and what, yeah. it, what that experience felt like for you?
4: It was, you know, it was really nerve wracking, especially because like I said earlier, my pregnancy was so easy right like I didn't have a high risk pregnancy I never had a single high blood pressure Mm. my entire life like I was Mm -hmm. before pregnancy where I sat kind of low like I sat kind of like 90 over 60 100 over 65 like that was kind of my happy resting place so to go from being completely healthy, you know, to go to a regular follow-up, I mean, a regular appointment, you know, I was mm-hmm. going for my weekly appointments, I was full-term, you know, I went and got a car wash beforehand, you know, <laughs> I I faked my, I was going to fake my weight, so like not eat lunch until after, <laughs> you know, like, who knows, I was like, I'm like, I'm going to drive to Chick-fil-A right after my appointment, um, so, like, that was like my plan, like, I felt so completely normal, my husband was like, all right, when you come back, we'll go straight to Chick-fil-A and we'll eat and we'll hang out. Like I was on quarantine. So that was like my day out, you know, like I get out the house. Oh, my God, I'm going to do some things without being around people. So then to walk into a room and they're like, huh, something's different than it's ever been before. And how they described it to me was, you know, my outpatient appointment or excuse me, my outpatient office was in the same building as the hospital where I would be delivering him. So how they kind of set me up for it was we're just going to have you go over for observation first. We're going to have, have you walk over and make sure that maybe this is fake, right? Maybe, you know, you walked up the steps. I was still pretty active. So I'm like, I'm not taking the elevator. I'm walking up the steps, you know, to my appointment. Um, they were like, maybe it was just fake. Maybe it's the machine. Maybe you just need to have sit down and, and breathe for a second. So we're not going to call it this yet. So, you know, when I called them and told them what potentially could happen, we both still sat very much in like, a, you know what? It's a fluke. This isn't real. This is just kind of your body just needing to adjust. Um, And what they had me do was walk over for observation, quote unquote, and describe it to me as every 15 minutes, we're going to check your blood pressure while the baby's on a monitor and we're going to see what happens. You know, we're going to see what his heart rate does. Um, We're going to see what your pressures do. But if you have four consecutive high blood pressures in those 15 minute intervals over an hour and you have proteins in your urine and your lab work doesn't look great or two out of those three things will be inducing you. So Leland Kanisha know me. I sit in a very calm optimistic place. Like that's just kind of my baseline. So I was just like, okay, I think in my mind still, I was like, but it's not going to be because I've been so healthy all this time. Right. Like Mm -hmm. this is just a fluke and I'm tired and I'm heavier and I'm slowing down. And that's what this is. After two consecutive highs, I'm kind of like, Hmm, this actually might be real. Um, this actually might be something that is actually going to happen. So when I called him, you know, our dog, we sent her to daycare that day and I'm like, all right, go get the dog. Because I think I'm going to get induced tonight, and he was like to have a baby, and I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what that usually means. And at that point, I started getting uh, not nervous, but more hypervigilant maybe, because when I was getting monitored, the nurse kind of looked at me and was like, "How do you feel?" And I'm like, "Fine. I want my Chick fil A, right? Like, I feel like <laughs> I'm mad, <and> I'm here, <laughs> I'm very angry that I'm sitting here right now, like I'm hungry." And she's like, "You're contracting." do you feel anything? And I'm like, no, not. So in hindsight, I sit in a very grateful place because I felt so fine. Mm-hmm. Who knows how long things could have progressed without me knowing, you know, certainly if I felt sick, I would have come in, but I didn't, right? Like I felt so okay that it, it may, after the fact, I got married like, oh my God, like something really bad could have happened to me or to him because I felt so fine. I think my anxiety, you know, the labor went very smooth. You know, he came out fine and healthy and his numbers were great. I think where my anxiety kicked in is when I had to get separated from him. You know, in the moment I'm like, do what you have to do. Obviously, I know that this stuff can't stay in me, right? Like, I know you have to act quickly. Like, I'm very aware that once you have a baby, you can't let all that stuff, right, stay inside your body long. So I know you have to act quickly. but you know, being rolled into an operating room pretty much 30 minutes after you've just been exposed completely in the most dramatic way ever. Um, And knowing that you're not connected to your baby anymore, who you just were disconnected from, you know, 30 minutes prior, I started getting very anxious in the operating room, you know, this procedure room. And initially they were like, you know, we can give you something for your anxiety. And initially like, I'm not an anxious person. I'm like, I'm fine. I don't need anything. Um, and then I'm just sitting there. And for some, I just feel like my nerves kicking in and all those hormones and emotions and everything. And thank God I had great nurses. I say forever that labor and delivery nurses are hands down just the best of the best. Wow. And um, she kind of looked at me and I looked at her and she was like, we're just going to give you something. And I'm like, okay. Like she kind of decided for me because I, could, I don't think I could say it myself that I needed a little bit of help. And they gave me something just to like, Calm me down, which ultimately just sedated me, and I thank God because I don't think I want to have memory of that part. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not something that I want in my head, and I don't want it, I wouldn't want it connected to him. Like that's part of the process, but I don't want that mind that that connection to him. So I woke up to them wheeling me back into my room, so I don't mm-hmm. remember any of that procedure. But I definitely was really struggling to be disconnected, and then you know I couldn't have my mom my mom and I have a very, very close. And with the pandemic only being able to have one person, I'm so grateful I could have one because this time last year, they weren't even letting some women have anybody. So I couldn't even imagine that. But, you know, at the time I was like, I'm a girl and I want my mom period. And I couldn't have her. And, you know, we FaceTimed her during the labor, which, you know, she was able to experience that, but, you know, to then have to be separated from my child and I don't have my mom and I'm by myself and I have all, I know, I understand health. I work in, in the healthcare system. I understand what's happening. Like I'm not naive to it. Some people may not understand how serious it is, but mm-hmm. I, know, I know exactly what's happening inside my body. And that's so scary. It was hard. And then you're hormonal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just basically, you're yeah. just yeah. hormonal without having any of this extra stuff. So yeah, it was, it was a process for sure. But I'm very grateful now that he's healthy and I'm healthy,
1: but acknowledging that it was trauma. Yeah. So how are you doing now? You know, you're just five weeks out, very, very new to motherhood. And again, thank you for sharing and being so open with us because I think it's so hard for women sometimes to share these things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as women of color, Black women, our stories are so important because it Mm -hmm. helps other people feel like I'm not alone. And I think to your point, you know, Eunice, you probably can give some more statistics about it. We know that Black women are at higher risk of dying higher risk of experiencing racism, all these things, all these factors that play a role. So I just kind of want to get your thoughts on, you know, how are you doing now processing everything you went through?
4: I'm doing better, for sure. I think, you know, I'm very grateful to have my husband here, you know, and I've, I've always had nothing but respect for single parents. I think it's been heightened times like 20 since I've had him because I'm like, I don't understand how single parents do this. I truly, my brain does not process how one person can handle this, especially if God forbid you have additional health things that pop up, like just a a normal, healthy labor delivery, nothing goes wrong. I don't understand it. Add complications to it. It blows my mind. Um, But it was, you know, first coming home, it was really hard. You know, I did not have a C-section. I was able to deliver him vaginally, but I still could barely You know, I had a procedure. Right. So I'm like sore. I can barely get up. I was so fluid. Like I was I was retaining so much fluid from the preeclampsia that I had to sit with my feet elevated for like a week. Everything was sore. And, you know, he was incredibly helpful. But it doesn't feel good when you feel like you can't take care of your child the way you want to. I'm fine person (laughs) (laughs) always like it's like that meme with the dog where everything's on fire and that's me i'm like no i'm fine everything's good i'm great Um, there's nothing wrong and to be forced to sit and not be able to do things the way that you want to do them and how you want to do them and to pretty much be told like I'm his mom and yet you're telling me that I can't do everything like that doesn't feel good it feels uh-huh. like you're not good enough it feels like something's wrong with your body and I kept saying to him like I could do it and he's like I know but stop you know like I had to be forced to have a seat and that was really 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 challenging I ultimately decided not to nurse given all of the health complications and then because he was born two weeks, uh, just under two weeks early, you know, he was very healthy weight, but he was smaller. So he could have baked for two more weeks. So, you know, he came out just under six pounds, but then he lost a little bit naturally. So because of all my health complications and because he was born smaller, I didn't nurse, which I'm very grateful for that because he's healthy and thriving and it gave my body permission to heal. But there's also an added element of that too, where, you know, I couldn't feed him the way that my plan, right? My plan was to nurse and I chose not to do it, but there were small elements of guilt in that as well. But it was definitely challenging in the first couple of weeks when you feel that you can't do things the way that you want to do them or how you should do them. Now that I'm feeling better and I'm more active and I'm able to move around more, I definitely feel much better mentally but there were definitely times where like my mind was going those places and especially when it's like the middle of the night and the world is quiet oh, yeah right like the whole world is quiet and there's no one sitting with you and it's just you and your sleep deprived thoughts and hormonal thoughts mm-hmm. that start taking you places where you're like you're not good you're not doing a good job you're doing an awful job actually and you're you know all those thoughts that I'm sure every sleep deprived First, second, third time mom has had, right? Where you're just your brain takes you places where you know it naturally wouldn't take you. So, definitely moments like that for sure. But you know, with time and sleep <laughs> and yeah. just letting my body and my mind heal more, I'm certainly in a much better place. And then, just when you see your kid doing better and you're, you're you know, he's growing and gaining weight and healthy and I'm <laughs> losing weight <laughs> and healthy, you know, thing, you, you feel better. But Ooh, those first couple of weeks are a doozy.
3: You know, I know several of them um, were pregnant during the pandemic. And it seems like, you know, from the start of the pandemic, it was strikingly different to how the procedures are now in terms of like going for your visits and your checkups and these kinds of things. How do you think it's evolved to this day? Because you said that your husband was allowed to be in the room with you. He was. He was. Okay. He was
4: allowed to be there. He could not come to any appointment I had from start to finish. We actually decided to pay for a private ultrasound so that he could come to something. He's just that type of guy where he would want to be a part of things. So we actually decided to pay for the gender ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So he and I could at least find out together one thing is everything else. I was either FaceTiming him during or calling him after the fact. And I'm like, all right, if there's one thing that we could find out (laughs) together, let's find out if he's a boy or a girl. So we, we paid for that and it was private. So he was allowed to come, but he, yeah, he could not come to any appointment. I came, I went to every appointment by myself for the labor and delivery. Our hospital's policy was once he was there, he could not leave. So not only could he not leave the hospital, we actually couldn't even leave the room. So once we were, if I needed water with ice, we had to call my nurse and my nurse had to go out and bring me water. So we wanted food. We could have it delivered, but the nurse had to walk downstairs Get the food, bring it up to the room. Those walls close in on you, mm. and then mm-hmm. you know we were there for five nights, mm. so it wasn't even like we were there for the normal time. You know, we were sitting in that room for five nights, um, and we're not allowed to leave. And you know, I, I had to go get a CAT scan at one point, and that felt like a field trip to me. Like, oh my god, <laughs> I can leave the I can leave the floor. I can Mm -hmm. see a different unit, like I can breathe different air, but it was really mentally. I fully understand all of the reasons for all of the protocols, but some of them certainly feel very arbitrary to me because I'll never understand how someone who lives in the same home as me, breathes the same air as me every day, can't come with me to an appointment, but I'm going to the appointment and Mm -hmm. I'm coming back home to him and he's not on quarantine, so he's going, you know, I get why he has to, but there's just some elements of it, but yet, you know, an amusement park can be open or a shopping mall can be open or I can go to Target and it'd be fine, but he can't come with me to a doctor's appointment. You know, I can't wrap my head fully around the rationale around some of the rules, but, you know, having to be stuck in a room with no fresh air you know, with limited human interaction, you know, thank God for technology. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't imagine if this were all happening, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, where we didn't really have smartphones as much as we do now. You know, we're able to FaceTime all of our families during the whole process and texting people and calling people. But, yeah, being stuck in that room was really hard. It was really, really hard.
3: Was there any discussion with your OB about the vaccine, They brought it up. Yeah, they they
4: brought it up. So I found out I was pregnant in July. Um, So I was about midway through my second trimester when the vaccine came out uh, sometime, I guess, early to mid-December. And the way that my OB was actually very open and just kind of said, your choice. You know, if you want to, we will support it. If you opt not to, that's your choice. And I'm very grateful for that because that was what I hoped they would say. Even mm-hmm. if they were to try to push it, I still would have ultimately made the decision. And I'm fully open saying that I have yet to be vaccinated. I will. But, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the whole process, I struggle still with the the trust that I have in the medical community as a Black woman, full of transparency. Course. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. And all of the things that have been tested on in Black people in this country. The idea of something brand new, That we don't know a whole lot about. I just wasn't certain, and I'm like, until I'm certain, I'm just not ready yet. And that's where I sat. As I especially, I'm like, and especially being pregnant, you know, not only do I not know what it's going to do to me, we have no idea what it's going to do to my baby. So I'm just not there yet. And my my doctor was very very good with that, which I appreciate. I do have some friends who were pregnant who opted to get the vaccine that was their choice but for me you know he and i met talked
3: together a lot about it and i'm good with the decision that i made i'm glad that you were able to kind of process that and have your own decision making process about it and she gave you the choice which is really really good i think mm-hmm. that was helpful because I think if she approached it a little bit differently, like you had to get it, it would have been something else.
4: I may have switched doctors, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Like, so, it would have been very, very different. Me. I probably would have switched just because, like, one, I don't like to be forced <laughs> to do anything, right? Don't force me to do anything, <laughs> but certainly don't force me to do something that we don't even know, right? You know, much about. Uh, you know, he's he's already gotten his, his head B both rounds. You know, I'm very pro vaccine. <laughs> you know, I think it's helpful as reasons why those diseases don't exist anymore. Like that is definitely where I sit, but this is new. And until we know more, that's, that's kind of where I want it to be. And I appreciate physicians who are collaborative and give you permission. And also, you know, working in healthcare, you, you learn in different ways how to advocate for yourself. But I do wonder, you know, how it is for other women who either don't work in healthcare, so don't know how to advocate and, or don't have physicians that are, collaborative and kind of mandate things like I can't
1: imagine how that must be for them well this has just been absolutely wonderful and very inspirational Brittany our listeners love to hear tips Mm -hmm. and you and I have worked together and we're very good at talking to our patients about tips what can you tell our audience and particularly for those who might be pregnant now and our new mothers any last uh, suggestions or tips you have
4: let go of any plans that you have because it's likely not going to go the way that you plan, you know, have an idea of what you think you want and then be okay with it possibly not going that way. You know, with my labor and delivery, I did not, I have a lot of friends who had like written books of plans, you know, I want this at this time, I want that at that time. And this is just the way it's going to go. And all of them, <laughs> none, of it, none of it happened, it happened me, right right so for me my only thing was I want my husband and I to both get skin to skin and I'm getting an epidural you know right. that right. I knew that I'm not I'm fine, with not trooping it through <laughs> I'm, good, I'm okay and I was okay with that and those things were able to occur you know if I had walked in the room you know with all of the things that happened in my labor and delivery process I think I would have been 10 times more devastated because of what occurred because none of this was expected or planned for. So I think that, you know, give yourself permission to just ride the wave all those who want to give unsolicited advice. We don't want it. You know, we understand that this is your child. So the books are great and the tips are great, but nobody knows your baby better than you do. Even if you only know your baby for a few weeks, you know them better than anybody else. Mm So You know, if you want advice, ask for it, but also be okay telling people that you don't really want, Mm -hmm. you know, unsolicited advice. You want to learn on your own and mess up on your own and figure it out and then Mm -hmm. but ask for help when you need it. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling yourself kind of like, all right, I'm not feeling great. Or if someone Mm -hmm. says, what do you need? Tell them.
1: Mm, right. because
4: you know sometimes we don't want to answer that question I'm good, I'm to fine. do yeah it's so hard um so now i'm like you want to bring something bring us dinner so that mm-hmm. we don't have to cook tonight mm-hmm. but be okay asking for help and it's okay if you don't know something but you'll figure it out
1: well thank you so much for being a new mom mm-hmm. our guest this was again like i said so inspirational and again so important to hear people's stories yeah for sure Thank you guys so much for having me. This is such a great forum. So I'm glad
4: things like this exist. This is great.
1: All right, ladies. So that was really great. So as we close for today, I'd like us to all go around and think about what was one thing that we wish we would have known so that we can provide our audience uh, with some tips and strategies.
2: The biggest thing for me is you have to kind of be flexible when you're going into um, the birth process. So everyone has their strict plans and I want to do this, 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 that, and the other, and you go in and, you know, I think you set yourself up for failure and um, feelings of guilt when that plan doesn't kind of go your way when you have such a strict plan. So I think just like, honestly, like let go and let God be flexible, you know, have your guidelines, but don't go in thinking that like things have to go the way that you've planned because most of the time they won't just because you're you you do not control the birth process so i think just like understanding that up front and just being ready for you know things to be different than you expected so that you're not feeling like you did something wrong and feeling guilty about like complications or when anything kind of doesn't go your way
3: i'm gonna piggyback on that i, I completely agree um kenisha you have to be forgiving of yourself you have certain rigid expectations. You have to remember every birthing process, every child that you have or give birth to is a different experience. And you you definitely need to be forgiven of yourself if it doesn't go how you perceive it needs to go. But it goes how it goes, um, as long as you have a healthy child. And that should be the focus. You should also secure people in your corner throughout the process, even during pregnancy, that are going to be... Advocates for you and for the betterment of your child that, during that process, because as a you know birthing mother, your mind and your emotions are all over the place. So having someone that you can trust and that you feel can advocate and support you um, during that time is important as well.
0: I think for me, what I wish I would have known before giving birth to my son. Was that, you know, there are a lot of people who can help you with things like, you know, like you said, you don't have to do it by yourself. But think about like, you know, your your mom's experiences, like going back to those people who have done this before. Also, just knowing that it's an experience that is not the same for everybody and that you have to be willing to adjust some of those things that you know, you thought that you were going to do, but it it didn't happen or occur the way it is. And just also knowing that, you know, there's no perfect way to be a mom at the end of the day with this. There's no perfect way to have a baby. So I think, you know, I would have reflected more on those things and also got my rest like rested up, (laughs) Mm -hmm. slept more, slept
1: in, so yes yes thank you ladies for sharing all of that um I echo most of what you said and you know back to Kanisha's point about coming in with this plan which I think we've all sort of said this idea of flexibility um just to highlight like with the breastfeeding process you know mothers come in and they get these messages like we heard from our our last episode and it's okay like people may grieve and loss that you may not be able to breastfeed but the most important thing is to feed your baby and so I think it's just getting over those ideas Ideas associated with what, as Eunice said, a perfect mother is um, to be able to feed your baby. And then, second, the most practical strategy that I give to my family and friends who are going through this experience is make sure your partner has food and snacks. Because as the mother, you are in your zone, you are going through labor. You know, some people may be able to eat, others may not. But I know for my support system, like my husband, I made sure that they went out, they had a nice lunch. It's okay. I will be fine. You can come back just because it's a long process. Those overnights get harder as the days go on. And so just make sure that you have enough
2: nourishment. Absolutely. Before we close, I want to add one more thing. I just think that, you know, we are in a culture of um, blaming and I just want to make sure that for moms who don't have healthy babies, that they understand that that's not their fault. Um, I think, you know, you're not God. You don't know kind of why things happen and you don't know what's going to happen. And there are lots of, you know, things in the um you know, process of uh, development that can go wrong. So I just want to make sure that moms who don't have healthy babies kind of are aware that they're not alone and it's not their fault. And, you know, they also, you know, deserve kind of all the kind of respect that everyone else gets and all the support, you know, that that everyone else gets as well. So that's just something I wanted to kind of throw in because I think we focus on healthy babies but there are a lot of babies that aren't healthy and that's that's okay too and you know there's a process for that as well thank you to our audience for joining us today um, for our podcast we hope that you learned a lot from our guests as well as our podcast hosts please don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Melnon Hughes podcast also we're on Twitter at Melnon Hughes podcast and Facebook at Melanin Hughes podcast you can also check us out on our website at Melanin Hughes podcast.com. Don't forget to join us for our next episode. We will be providing a much needed COVID update.